From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. The CEO of Alaska Airlines says the high level of flight cancellations since April will continue through this month. Ben Minicucci said in a message this week that stability should return in June. He said the airline has been canceling about 50 of the 1,200 flights it operates every day. A canceled flight is frustrating enough, but then you often face long hold times when you try to reach someone in reservations. This is coming at a time when flights are already full, so rebooking options are limited. Even though we made immediate changes, it takes some time for a complex operation to turn the corner. The month of May will continue to be choppy, and we're doing everything we can to minimize the impact on you. For June and beyond, we've made significant changes to ensure a high degree of reliability. This includes hiring and training 150 new pilots, 200 additional reservation agents, and 1,100 new flight attendants. This, along with the reductions we've made to our schedule, will ensure we run an operation that you can count on. He said Alaska Airlines started April and May with 63 fewer pilots than needed to fly the published flight schedule. On this somber occasion, we honor the 68 law enforcement officers who have died in the line of duty while serving the people of Alaska. That was Alaska State Trooper Director Colonel Brian Barlow on Friday at the Alaska Police Memorial Week Remembrance in Anchorage. Remembrances were held in Anchorage, Juneau, and Fairbanks to honor the 68 Alaska law enforcement officers who have died in the line of duty. Colonel Barlow spoke to the history of the remembrance, which dates back to the 1960s. President John F. Kennedy wrote the executive order creating Police Memorial Day and Police Week in 1962. It was among his final acts as president. His assassination is remembered as a national tragedy, an event that focused the thoughts of a generation. Sadly, an officer killed while investigating the president's death was among the first honored at Police Memorial Day. Barlow said all officers, whether federal, state, or local, stand together in remembrance. Deputy of Public Safety Commissioner James Cockrell also spoke at the event. The names of 28 heroes have been added to this memorial since I started my career. Some of those I knew personally, but all of them I respected. To the family members gathered here to, with us today, know that you're frequently in my prayers and the department will never leave you, your side and will never forget the extraordinary sacrifice that your loved ones made for our great state. I hope that you can find peace knowing that your loved ones' sacrifice will never be forgotten. Cockrell added that all the officers memorialized were the best of the best. The U.S. Coast Guard is calling on every military member, civilian, auxiliary, retiree, and family member associated with the branch of service to help recruit new members. Following a directive from former Commandant Carl Schultz, the Coast Guard is looking for assistance in increasing its staffing. Chief Petty Officer Colin Rankin is the lead recruiter for the state of Alaska. He says finding new members in Alaska is a challenge, pandemic or not. Recruiting in Alaska, it's different than the lower 48. We're extremely small office. There's only three of us, but I'm blessed to have three very professional recruiters that work with me. We're also unique in recruiting. We're able to reach a lot of kids a lot of times by simply traveling throughout the state. And uh, post-pandemic and during the pandemic, a lot of that was limited, unfortunately. Rankin says the U.S. Coast Guard has a lot to offer to new recruits. We're not blessed with a giant budget like Department of Defense. You know, we work for Department of Homeland Security, 
So a lot of our recruiting is word of mouth and spreading the word and seeing the uniform um, and telling kids in Alaska the fantastic opportunities that the Coast Guard has has to offer. Rankin also says that as the smallest armed service operating under Homeland Security, it feels like a family most times. We are a special service. We're small. It is like a big family. You're going to see, you know, once once kids join, you're going to see people you've served with 20 years ago. I, myself, I've been in 22 years. Uh, I talked to a lot of my friends from boot camp and uh, my first couple of units. Um, I think that's extremely unique. You where you're not just another number in the service. And Rankin says recruits can see a lot of responsibility and action starting day one. There's a lot of responsibility placed on young Coast Guard men and women, and that continues throughout their career. Literally from your first day of boot camp, um, you're going to be pre preparing and training, and you might be strapping on body armor and a weapon to go help conduct uh, maritime law enforcement. So we're extremely professional a lot of responsibility placed on members, and essentially what we're trying to do in Alaska is, post-pandemic, is get out into the community more. More information can be found at GoCoastGuard.com. House Bill 123 passed in the Senate on Friday. The bill proposes to formally recognize Native tribes in Alaska. Supporters of the bill say it is an overdue step that would create opportunities for the state and tribes to work together. The measure passed 15-0 to and will return to the House, which passed a similar version last year. If the House agrees to the Senate version, the bill will go to the governor. If the bill is enacted, its passage would likely bump from this year's ballot a similar tribal recognition initiative. Senator Jesse Keel spoke to the bill on the House floor. He says it will provide opportunities for state and tribes. I think this bill is a, is a tremendous step. It cuts through the confusion. I think it opens opportunities. It opens opportunities for the state of Alaska to partner with tribes when it comes to delivering services, when it comes to doing the best we can for all Alaskans. It doesn't force those partnerships. We will have work left to do. Keel says the bill was about basic human courtesy to fellow Alaskans. From today forward, we're going to extend this basic human courtesy to other people, our fellow Alaskans. That, in a nutshell, is what the bill does. It says, we recognize that tribal members in Alaska are patriotic Americans, passionate Alaskans, and proud tribal members. I'll be honored to vote yes, Mr. President. Clinton and Haida Central Council President Richard Pearson agree that the bill was long overdue. In many of the comments from the senators, that this was long overdue, and I couldn't agree more. I think they expressed the will of the people, and I think it was good because we had the um, we've been building towards the ballot initiative on this next election, and I think uh, you know this this is able to express the will of the people and what the ballot initiative would have uh, expressed out. So I think today was a big win, and it's a small step in the right direction for tribes and state government working closer together for the benefit of all Alaskans. Meanwhile, the Alaska House has voted against accepting a state spending package passed by the Senate that included payments of about $5,500 to residents. The vote to concur with the Senate package failed 18-22. to 22. The vote sets the stage for a conference committee with 
the regular legislative session set to end by Wednesday. In a conference committee, negotiators from each the House and Senate are tasked with hashing out differences between the budgets that passed each chamber. The House, in its version of the budget, included a dividend of about $1,250 plus a $1,300 energy relief check. Officials with the Iditarod announced Thursday they have reversed the penalties levied against two mushers who were demoted in final standings for breaking a rule against sheltering their dogs inside a cabin during vicious storms during this year's race across Alaska. However, mushers Millie Porcelid of Denmark and Michelle Phillips of Canada were then fined $1,000 each, the same as another musher who was initially fined but not demoted for also sheltering dogs inside near the end of the race in March. Porcelain was dropped from 14th to the 17th position, while Phillips dropped one notch to 18th. Their original finished positions and prize money were restored with the board's decision. The Biden administration has canceled oil and gas leases in Alaska amid the high prices for fuel nationwide. ABC's Andrea Fuji reports. The Biden administration is under pressure to increase U.S. crude production, but Thursday it canceled three oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico and off Alaska, removing millions of acres for possible drilling. The White House blames a lack of industry interest as well as conflicting court rulings. The Juno Assembly continues to explore the proposal to remove the sales tax on food, and Juno's finance director laid out the current options being discussed to cover the revenue loss during the Chamber of Commerce's weekly luncheon. Finance Director Jeff Rogers spoke about the exemption of sales tax on food, which may be put to voters later this year. Rogers pointed out that this is not the first time an assembly brought up the idea to exempt food. The definition of food in this case is SNAP-eligible food. Rogers said that's essentially groceries. He provided an example of hot versus cold crap. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is a federal definition of food, which we might think of as groceries uh, or food, unprepared food for home. Sometimes those terms get used. Um, but SNAP-eligible food is where the assembly landed as the thing to exempt. Um, and under the SNAP-eligible guidelines, all, all of those decisions have been made, but it remains uh, cold crab is food and hot crab is not food. So uh, if we exempted food from sales tax, you would pay sales tax on cold crab but not hot crab. Rogers said the current food tax exemption ordinance would make nonprofits not exempt from paying tax on goods. There appears to be some level of consensus about uh, changing and repealing the sales by nonprofits. So the ordinance that the city attorney has worked on for the assembly for now uh, would remove that exemption only for goods and not for services. That might actually be a good middle ground. Um, most of what nonprofits do is services. It's actually relatively uncommon for nonprofits to sell goods. That's just not, most, most nonprofits don't sell goods. They provide services and they sell services. So um, just dealing with goods and not services, leaving services, not uh, sales, sales of services by nonprofits, leaving that exempt uh, might be a middle ground that people feel comfortable with. He said the sale of goods by nonprofits would provide a small amount of revenue. So the Assembly has two options to cover the $6 million loss, cut the budget to cover the food exemption, or raise revenue. He went through some of the options being weighed so far, raise the tax seasonally or increase the mill rate. On the property increase thought, There is one fairly obvious alternative to doing anything on sales tax, and it's that you could exempt food and you could make it up with property tax. 
And so um, something on the order of 1 mil, 1.0 mil, um, makes up what we lose in uh, exempting food. So, so today, um, th this year, current year, uh, FY22, the taxes you've already paid, uh, we're at a 10.56 mil rate. They are proposed to go back to what they have been for the last decade or so, a 10.66 in this year's budget cycle. That's a decision the assembly hasn't made yet. Um, you know, the assembly could exempt food and set a mill rate of 11.56 or 11.66 and accomplish about the same end as it, as it relates to municipal revenue. He added that, in his opinion, the assembly did not take the idea seriously when it was proposed. As for the seasonal sales tax, the idea currently before the assembly is 5% in the winter and 6% during the summer. He said that the average Juno household pays 455 dollars a year in food taxes and the total for non-foods is 2,885. Under the new structure with food tax exempt and the sales tax put at 5% in the winter and 6% in the summer, the average household would pay $3,197 a year in taxes total for non-food items. So then the total savings for an average household would equal $143. The Juno Symphony has performances planned for June and a youth string camp planned for August. Beth Pendleton, a member of the Juno Symphony Board, is very excited to invite members of the community to join the symphony for a night at the Oscars. She also has information about their summer string camp coming up in August. Here's Pendleton. So in June, on June 11th and 12th, the Juno Symphony will be featuring a night with the, at the Oscars, and we have a guest conductor, uh, Troy Quinn, who's going to be leading that. We're going to have a large orchestra. It's going to be popular show tunes, uh, movie tunes, so it should be music that the audience is going to be really excited to hear. The other thing that we have going this summer is the Summer Strings Camp. This is for youth um, in elementary school and first year of middle school, going into first year of middle school. It's gonna be up at Eagle Crest. We had a very successful camp last summer and we're looking forward to welcoming uh, young strings players to the camp and they'll get some great instruction from some of our finest strings teachers here in town with the jam program and also with the symphony. So looking forward to that. If folks are interested, they can con and either tickets for the upcoming Oscars concert or for the strings camp they can reach out to junosymphony.org all one word junosymphony.org to register for camp and that will be in august and uh, or to get tickets june 11th and 12th the 11th is a saturday night uh, and then the, the 12th is a sunday afternoon matinee and on saturday the salvation army of juno celebrated a hundred years of serving the local community the celebration features festivities commencing at Douglas Island Pioneer Pavilion in Savico Park. Juno Corps officers Major Shane and Gina Halverson hosted the weekend's programs. Halverson grew up in Huna and says many generations of her family were involved in the Salvation Army. Halverson was excited to host this event and had this to say. It's actually really exciting because we have so many things going on and the community really is coming together. We have people for the Antion dancers, we have native drummers, we have the Alaska choir, we have the string quartet, we have 
vendors who are coming together just to make this whole event come together. It really is a community coming together and the Salvation Army is just really grateful to be part of it. Salvation Army, we do food, we do vouchers, we do medical, rent. We try and get help any way that we can. We really try to do kind of step up with the emergency disasters as well. Um, we also are a church, so we run a church program with youth activities and uh, different women's ministries and men's ministries, so we do a lot of different things as well. The Salvation Army's 100th anniversary also welcomed the National Program Secretary, one of the National Leaders Commissioners, Jolene Hodder, to Juneau from Washington, D.C. Volunteer work includes going into jails to set up a mini-store at Christmas time, allowing inmates to choose gifts for their children. They also set up Christmas trees around town to give anonymous children gifts that are in foster care. 480 children were delivered toys last year. Never miss a story or a newscast at keinyradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.